OK, we're going to begin this story. It's called Train Troubles. It comes from uh, It's Rum Life, which will be book five, 2008 on. And this story follows on from A Lesson in Faith in the 21st Century. You can find this on Buzzsprout. Saturday the 13th of October 2012. Was this significant? I had to travel to the UK on the Thursday for a court hearing. The conclusion, I sincerely hoped, of the negotiations to find a new mortgagee for the Northcote property and end the dreadful courtroom dramas I had I'd been experiencing throughout the whole of that year. Our long-term mortgage of the Northcote property to Barclays Bank had run out, and I had been seeking a new mortgagee for over 18 months. The difficulty was that Ruth and I were retired and not earning, and also that we were no longer UK residents. At the very last minute, as it were, I'd finally found a building society who would help. But Barclays had completely lost their rag and had taken me to court in August already. They were determined, determined to try and seek possession of the property. As I said before, you can read all about this in Lesson in Faith in the 21st Century. We actually won this second court hearing, as we had the first. And I was now on my return leg of my three-day excursion and on my way back home to France. I'd been staying with our daughter Helen in Spilsby and she had kindly driven me to Lincoln to catch the first train available on this frosty Saturday morning. The plan was that I should eventually manage suitable onward connections to Manchester Airport and my pre-booked flight back to Tours in the Loire Valley, where my car was waiting me. It had originally taken me quite a while to choose this actual rail route. It had fewer changes than other options, and I should arrive at Manchester Airport with a good hour to spare before the last call for my flight. Disaster. Was it Saturday the 13th? It would appear so, as within ten minutes of leaving Lincoln, the train stopped. There was no sign of it moving for some time, and then came the announcement. All the signals are at red, said the tannoy, and further, we found out that at least two sets of level crossing barriers are not working, and the traffic is still flowing across our route. The message went on to explain that staff had been requested to travel to the site and manually operate the barriers. My co-traveller opposite was going to the West Country to collect a car, and the folks sat alongside and across the aisle were all destined for airports in the London area. I was the only one going north and west. We could be here an hour, I said to the world at large, and sat and fumed steadily. The time passed when I should have been on an onward connection to Leeds. Sometime later, I was still gazing out of the same train window into the damp, muddy fields and dripping hedgerows of western Lincolnshire, when I should have been racing north into the rolling Pennine Hills. I still sat and fumed. Eventually we arrived in Newark, 
half an hour after my last connecting train had gone. The train staff had done their best by informing us of the connections that were available, but nothing to get me to Manchester within three hours. In the ticket office, a kind lady consulted her machines and told me she'd found a train leaving Doncaster in 40 minutes that would do. But Doncaster was over 60 miles away. I consulted a taxi man outside the station at Newark, but he demanded £60 for the trip and could not guarantee success. Neither did he, give, did he have the necessary charisma that would persuade me to part with any more lolly from my dwindling reserve. I was stumped. Give them their due, the station staff were as helpful as they could be. I borrowed their phone to call Manchester Airport. They even found the phone number for me on their machines. Staff at Manchester had even worse news. There were no more flights to my home airport of tour until Tuesday. But there is one tomorrow from Stansted Airport, she said. So my decision was made. Back to daughter Helen's home to try and buy a ticket for Stansted. Lincoln. How do I get back to Lincoln? I asked the station staff at Newark. Well, all trains to Lincoln are cancelled from here at present due to that problem, they stated. But you could catch one from the other station at Newark Castle. I was just beginning to recover from the third session of damage to my Achilles tendon in my left leg in the last three months, and I was hobbling with a stick. It took me over half an hour to get to Newark Castle Station. There I did find a seat on the platform, the first I'd seen in the whole town. I expired. This train did arrive on time, and on relating my tale of woe to the ticket inspector, she wished me Godspeed. <laughs> the half-hour journey to Lincoln gave me chance to inspect my assets a mobile phone of unknown vintage that did not work, and a Lincolnshire pensioner bus pass, fortunately still valid. I had remembered being requested by Ruth on this trip to try and have the phone repaired or something, but had not previously been anywhere where this could be done. Lincoln seemed a likely option. The distance from Lincoln Central Station to the bus depot was only a few hundred yards, but seemed endless. I searched the masses of bus timetables and eventually worked out that a bus should leave for Spilsby in about 20 minutes. Next, I went in search of a new phone card. Three shops later, I was directed to the actual Vodafone shop, and after negotiating the central shopping mall, I arrived, arrived to find a queue out of the door. I was thus ushered inside by a very helpful assistant, who explained that they were all waiting their turn to try the latest models of phone, and how could he help? I showed him my ancient piece of equipment, and he calmly began to fulfil my request. I was anything but calm, watching the minutes ticking by quickly before my bus was due to depart. The next hurdle, his computer terminal wouldn't work, and he had to wait to use the one alongside. 
Eventually, he did manage to get my phone working, and all for the cost of a top-up. I was very grateful, but only for five minutes, had only had five minutes to negotiate the shopping mall corridors and find a bridge over the river and my bus. I made it by the skin of my teeth and produced the bus pass, which had not been in use for over two years. It worked too. I think my luck would have run out if I had confronted the bus driver with a credit card to pay for my ticket to Spilsby. I'd no English money, nor French either come to that. I used the newly resurrected phone to surprise daughter Helen, who expected me to be almost at Manchester Airport by now. I recounted my tale of woe and she agreed to collect me from Spilsby Town Centre. Finally, back at her home, I decided I should first of all try to get a seat on that plane from Stansted tomorrow, Sunday. I managed that and duly printed off my boarding pass. I could finally sit and relax. It was half past midday and the plane I should have been on was just taking off from Manchester. Helen found some films to watch on her TV to cool my brain and calm my anxiety. We left early the next morning by car and reached Stansted Airport by 9.30am. I had three hours to spare and was very grateful. We had to say our second goodbyes in 24 hours so very quickly to avoid the, avoid the ridiculous parking charges at Stansted and I promised to use my resurrected portable telephone to let her know when I actually boarded the plane. I am a terrorist. Fate had not finished with me yet. This was to be my very first visit to Stansted and the first to a large airport since my last flying experiences with Firestone in 1971. I just stood and stared. That had been 41 years ago. Evidently, it did not seem to matter a lot where you were going to. Everyone had to pass the check-in. You produced your ticket after waiting a long time in a huge queue, and there were five or six of those queues, then you passed through that machine that checked if you were carrying any weapons. This was my downfall. I'd watched the antics of various attractive ladies in front of me as they took off various metal pieces they were wearing, plus their shoes. Bags and coats went through a scanner, and humans passed through an even larger one. It all seemed fine until it was my turn. I duly took off everything anything metal, and pushed my coat and bag into a box that disappeared. I walked through the scanner and caused an immediate alert. The noise was deafening, and a smart security guard quickly grabbed me and placed me against the nearest wall. Just like the films, my legs were spread and arms extended while he passed a handheld scanner over my entire body. Apparently, I was a terrorist. I could not imagine what on earth was causing the problem. I'd forgotten to take off my watch and showed him that. The problem was far greater than a watch, and he was determined to find out whatever I had hidden on me. The whole world seemed to be focused on me. All those long queues of people were goggling in amazement at the scene. 
Had they really found a terrorist? The problem was isolated to my left leg. Was there something hidden in my pocket or the seam of my trousers? Was I going to have to take off all my clothes here and now? Metal body parts. I finally remembered my hip. My new hip. I had a new hip fitted only in the January. It was so good and pain-free now, I'd completely forgotten. I explained, and he seemed at first to be sceptical. It was an excuse for something more serious, he thought. He used his scanner again, and it certainly centred on my hip. I offered to show him the scar, (laughs) but he finally accepted the story. Panic over. But in the meantime, they had scanned my coat twice and found the nice bottle of aftershave that had been bought for me in Spilsby. It was confiscated and lost forever. Now I was in no man's land and found a seat to rest my very weary left leg with its even more battered tendon. I could watch a large illuminated display board that showed all departures for the next two hours. My flight was not even on there yet. Passing the time. I found just a few loose UK coins in my pocket and went in search of a drink. There were numerous numerous eateries and I chose one where two smart young girls from some country other than the UK took pity on a decrepit grey-haired old codger with a walking stick and fixed me up with an extra large cup of milky coffee in exchange for my few few loose coins. I was very grateful, and found a counter seat where I could drink in peace and watch the world go by. The drink finished. I'd noticed by then that I was surrounded by shops of all descriptions, so took a short tour around. At a Dixon's store, they had a notice board outside offering a discount off those Kindle electronic book-reading things. As As an avid user of things Amazon, and an even more avid reader of books, I had studied these things, and had already decided that at some time I would buy one. This seemed a likely time. I had the time, and there was a discount. The decision was confirmed by a young lady coming up to me and offering her assistance. There must be some magnetism, being a grey-haired old codger with a walking stick. She took me through the choices available and even showed me the nice leather cases and optional reading lights also on offer. My credit card had already been in big demand, purchasing three airline tickets and numerous train tickets plus some cash for petrol for the journey to Stansted, all in the last few days. I was truly pissed off by it all. Even though we had won again in court, and well screwed that dreadful little Weasley, Barclays Bank solicitor, who truly understood nothing at all about real life. I bought the Kindle, plus all the extras. (laughs) My flight was finally registered on the large display board. At least it existed. I might get home today after all. I love people watching, and the airport is ideal for that. 
I tried not to stare too much and tried to work out just where all these people of all nationalities were going to or even come from. The time passed relatively quickly and then my flight jumped three spaces on the large board and it told me to move as they were boarding. Are we off at last? Move I did. Stick working overtime. Upstairs downstairs and along endless corridors my haste had been in vain as arriving yet at yet another queue beneath my flight number there was not even an aeroplane it did arrive eventually though about 15 minutes before it was due to leave again the staff swept into action and outgoing passengers were pushed forward onto the tarmac by the plane even as the arrivals were leaving it I took the chance to phone Helen and explain that I was stood beside the plane and waiting my turn to board. I should be okay now. Wielding a stick, I seemed to be a long way down the queue for the front door, but no matter, it was a scramble. On board at last, I could not see any spare seats, but at last found three to one side with the lady sitting in the aisle seat and the two seats next to her seemed vacant. I asked and she kindly explained that she did not like the seat by the window and I could gladly have it. My bag and coat and stick were stuffed quickly into the overhead locker and I sat with a huge sigh of relief. The lady by my side lived near Alençon in the Sarthe and had been visiting her family in London. I was told a few months later that there were tens of thousands of French folk living and working in the London area. Now I realise why Ryanair is so popular. There was a delay, the pilot explained. It was only minor, but needed an engineer to come on board and fix an instrument. The engineer was a lady and after 20 minutes or so the plane door finally closed and we moved out for takeoff. The flight was magnificent. I love watching the ground below and all the changes as the plane goes higher and higher. Things were far different now to the last time I'd flown way back in 1971. Then the plane took, our, took an age to leave the ground and ascended far more gracefully. This return trip was my very first time on board a modern jet aircraft and I was staggered by its acceleration and the way it turned its nose to the sky and rocketed upwards. We did arrive in tour on time but in pouring rain. I was delighted to find my car safe and sound in the free car park and even more delighted to find myself quickly out of the town and really on my way home at last. One final reflection before leaving the aircraft, I had found out that the vacant seat between the Alanson lady and myself was the only vacant seat on the whole flight. If I had delayed only a few more minutes the day before or hesitated in my decision before buying that Sunday flight ticket for Stansted, I might quite well have still been in England. Postscript. I did eventually find out whose train I'd been travelling on for that memorable and very stressful journey from Lincoln to Newark. I contacted them and spun my tale of woe. 
being a grey-haired old codger with a walking stick, a very nice young lady eventually agreed to refund all my train fares and paid for my extra flight cost too. The outcome was not too bad after all. There we are, that's the end of that little story brought to you by Cracker Books, written and read by Keith Sanders. Now, the end to these stories is that we don't have a shop anymore. You can't buy stories or books from us. All our publications are free to download on the internet. There's nearly 200 of these audio stories, um, uh, nearly 100 plus videos on YouTube, and there are eight complete books. You can find the links to all these on our new website. The address is www.itsarumlife.com and the spelling is I-T-S-A-R-U-M-L-I-F-E dot com. All, no gaps, it's uh, itsarumlife.com. So have a good look. There's hours of entertaining uh, books and stories on that site. And uh, thank you for listening.